Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast, Floyd's Rising. I'm Sabretooth, I collect NFTs for a living, and with me is Kizu, who's a professional art critic. On this podcast, we talk about the business of creating, collecting, and analyzing NFTs. We interview artists, collectors, and other interesting people in the NFT space. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Floor is Rising. With us today is Ryan Sue from Osborne Clark. He is an art lawyer, a lawyer specializing in art, and he's a lead counsel, a prestigious law firm here in Singapore. He's also done his own art show uh, in Singapore uh, around uh, Andy Warhol Polaroids. He's done a lot of litigation around copyright IP, something that we'll uh, talk about in this episode. And generally, we're very honored to have him here with us um, and talk about issues around copyright and NFTs. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to the show. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Ryan, uh, it's kind of unusual to encounter a lawyer who specializes in art. How did you get into art law? When I was studying law, law in university, I had the opportunity to go to the UK on exchange. What I did was that I actually took a train to London to study in an auction house. I signed up for for a course on art and the law. I was just at that point interested in the law about art objects. I wasn't even collecting art and I, I hadn't even graduated as a lawyer, but I was just interested in the law surrounding art objects. So I went there, I did the course, I made friends with the, the teachers, the lecturers who were who practicing art law in London. There are very, very few people who do that. And eventually ended up uh, working for one of them. And, and, and that's when when the journey began. And uh, I realized something also very interesting because as a young law student, I think it's usually a, a very confusing time because you don't know what type of law to specialize in. Some people become corporate lawyers. Some people become shipping lawyers. Some people become a whole array of different types of lawyers. But I, I quickly realized I wanted to do something to do with art. But, but the problem with that is that there's a very small market of clients. These are not like personal injury type cases where, where there are loads of people being like banged down by cars every day. So, <laughs> so this is, is really, really specialized work that, and, and the clients are usually like museums, art fairs, artists. And it, it's pretty interesting too, because I think there's a lot of research on this that, that artists have, are, are very lowly paid com compared to other people who work in other jobs. And so the practice of art law is quite interesting because it's oftentimes that artists are the ones who usually need help. We try all ways and means to help them within our capacity. So, so art law, part of it is commercial work, but a big part of it is also work that, that doesn't make money because of the nature of the industry. Something that uh, caught our attention and uh, triggered us to bring you on the, on the show, which is your article in Art Asia Pacific, specifically around a contract for NFT sales, I think mostly aimed at sort of existing artists. I think the article's titled it a proposed artist contract for NFTs. Maybe you can talk a bit about what, I guess, prompted you to um, sort of lay forward that framework. So when I started as an art lawyer, I was dealing with 
what we call now very traditional types of art, <laughs> which, which is very strange to, to talk about because now even contemporary art is considered a more traditional type of art. When, when I was doing it, it was cutting edge. When the NFT thing blew up, I, I, I think it started gaining a lot, a lot of traction and, and the culminating moment was, was during the, the Christie sale of the $69 million people artwork. That, that got everybody talking about NFTs and nobody, and, and the public didn't know what, what NFTs were. So you would see all the articles saying uh, non-fungible tokens, NFTs, and, and then everybody started to know what NFTs were. And then they wanted to be in on the game, right? Where before this was just an idea that was talked about and when no, people were trying to develop something, but nothing was really growing. This is my, my experience as an art lawyer. There were a lot of people talking to me and they were trying to develop something, but, but nothing was really happening until that happened. And when that happened, it came as sort of a shock because no one knew how to deal with NFT art and uh, the contracts were in a not so great state because they were usually very short and very brief. And to make matters worse, the artists were, were not seasoned artists. I, I'm making a generalization, of course, because in, in the traditional art market, there are artists who sign these contracts all the time because they have shows all the time and the galleries have these contracts all the time. So there was like a system. Some of the audience who are not familiar with what actually goes on in the traditional art world. So in the traditional art world, if a collector buys a piece of art from an artist, as say at an art fair, they are required to actually sign a uh, contract for that sale. Is that is that correct? If a collector buys an artwork, say from during Art Basel from a gallery at Art Basel, they could be asked to sign a sale and purchase agreement. And this agreement usually comes from the gallery rather than the buyer. The gallery wants to be signed is because the gallery wants to control what happens to an artwork. And this is usually to prevent the buyer from putting the artwork into auction immediately because that would make prices rise very fast and perhaps the bubble for that particular artist to explode. Uh, and, and the galleries generally want to control the artist's works, their artist market, and to have a slow, steady and healthy rise. They don't want something to go shooting all the way up and then bursting. Galleries generally want to, want to prevent flipping. So these sale and purchase agreements are to prevent flipping, generally. On the buyer's side, the buyer may be interested in these types of agreements because the buyer may want the gallery to guarantee that whatever they buy is authentic, that it's real, that it's not a counterfeit. But in terms of contemporary art, the artists are usually alive and there are very few counterfeits because these people are still walking around. They will immediately call out something that's fake. But a lot of countries also have these provisions built into their law and in their sales law, in their customer protection law. So even if it's not on a contract and you just pay the gallery and you get the artwork, there's like a general law that protects buyers of, of these things. So that's in the, in the traditional art market. But when you come to NFTs, it, uh, it's a little bit different. So I don't think a primary concern would be somebody buying an NFT and then flipping it. Because that seems to happen in the traditional art world, but it doesn't seem to happen in, in the NFT world. But in terms of NFT contracts, what we're looking at is, is about intellectual property rights and the buyer of the NFT trying to reproduce 
the digital artwork and perhaps minting it again or, or selling it somehow. And, and that's the type of action that, that these contracts mainly try to prevent. So it's about making unauthorized copies, basically. You talk to a lot of artists and galleries and museums. Is this something that artists who are looking to get into NFTs, is this like a concern that they have to try to really protect the ability for their work to be sort of duplicated digitally? Is, it, is, this, is this something that they're, that's top of mind in a lot of the artists that you're talking to? I think this is the top of the mind uh, of a lot of people. And a lot of the contracts, they try to, to keep stating and restating that the IP of a digital artwork belongs to the artist. The ownership could belong to the buyer. Of course, the ownership belongs to the buyer. And, and whoever the buyer decides to sell it onto, but the intellectual property rights belong to the artist. And this is the same in the case of the, the traditional or contemporary works where the copyright belongs to the artist. But I don't think copying is that rife in... If you buy a piece of contemporary art, say you buy a piece of artwork by a, a painting, for example, by, by, by Damien Hirst, a spot painting, okay? So I don't think someone would try to copy it wholesale and then try to sell, sell more. I mean, perhaps people think it may be a nice poster or something like that. And people shouldn't do that because these intellectual property rights remain with the artist. But in NFTs where everything is digital, it's much easier to, to make copies rather than having a whole group of people trying to repaint paintings. These things can just be <laughs> copied and proliferated to an infinite number of copies. And, and this is what, what these contracts try to protect. It's, it's fascinating to me to um, just view the concerns that they have because if I look at it from, uh, from sort of like a native crypto standpoint, the, this problem of um, sort of preventing digital copies is actually something that you want to encourage. In the NFT world, the royalties work on a resale. So basically, the, the more that a piece is resold and changes hands, a, a part of that secondary sale goes to the artist. So the royalties in an NFT world are different than the royalties in sort of tr traditional world in, in that they are they encourage basically resale, right? And, and usually uh, resale means higher liquidity for the artworks, means that there's more people interested in the artworks. And what this means is that it's... It's actually to the benefit of the artist if they relinquish basically the copyrights and their artwork is kind of like freely reproduced um, rather than sort of being bound by that traditional copyright framework. I think, you know, in the NFT world, you've seen many, many projects either wholesale give up the entire copyright to, to the art itself or they've explicitly allowed the owners and the holders to basically commercialize the NFTs with very limited restrictions in the hopes that all these derivative works and copies and all this sort of stuff would get produced um, because in that sense, they would infiltrate the cultural sort of gut, you know, zeitgeist and influence and make the artist, the collection, the pieces, a bigger part of the cultural milieu and, and so improve the sort of secondary sales market for that artist, those pieces, those collections. So, it, you know, it's a very different perspective, basically, that the NFT world views the IP of NFT versus the sort of traditional art world. I totally understand what you're talking about. The same actually also applies to the 
traditional art world in some countries, and this is called the artist resale right. So the artist resale right, there was a lot of, of perhaps interest and, and movement about this right in the in I believe in the 80s, where there was this whole group of American contemporary artists whose works were worth almost nothing. And people who who bought contemporary art were, were seen as like really weird people collecting junk. So, so people bought all these like Rauschenbergs and all these things. And when there was there's absolutely no value to them or, or very low value. And and in fact, it would cost more to store these things than 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 to actually buy them, perhaps. So so they were don't buy them. So, but very quickly, there was a lot of interest in art from this period, and all these pieces started making uh going up in in value tens or, or hundreds of times. And and there was this phenomenon where an artwork would sell for so much money, but the artist was still poor because at the time when the artwork left his or her studio, it was worth nothing. So there was a whole group of artists who felt disenfranchised because their work was sold for so much, but they were in poverty. So they felt really unfair. There were a lot of ground up type of groundswell movements. And eventually it led to something forming that, that looked like an artist resale right. So in, in the artist resale right, basically it's perhaps state or federal law. Uh, it depends It depends in what country and you know, all. Uh, what be, but the idea is the same. The idea is that every time an artwork is resold, an artist gets a certain percentage. So it does exist in the traditional art world, but there's another layer to it. So that's not the resale. It's 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 called this thing about a royalties or licensing. So in royalties, uh, say you like a particular uh painting. Say you like the Damien Hirst spot painting. You know the one with the dots, right? You like that, and you think if you put that on T-shirts, a lot of people buy that. So you go to the artist or the artist studio to to negotiate the the license or the or, or the right to make copies. So basically, copyright infringement occurs when people make copies without permission. But if you make copies with permission, you're authorized to do that. That's perfectly legal. But And it usually involves paying the artist a certain amount of money to have the right to make copies, of which you could, of course, sell for a profit. And sometimes these profits are calculated differently. Perhaps, perhaps uh, the license would be a percentage of sales. So there are two layers of this monetization thing. The first one is the resale. So every time something changes hands, the artist does get some money. Another way is to license the copyright for particular works. And there's actually a third way. The third way is that when you sell the artwork, you sell the copyright uh, together with it once and for all. Going back to your earlier observation, it's about NFTs uh, or people in the NFT space preferring the, the resale right. Probably true, but but there could also be licensing rights. Say say you like a particular uh, a crypto punk, a particular crypto punk. Uh, you could pay whoever made the crypto punks some money to 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 reproduce these crypto punks on like uh, mugs, t-shirts, umbrellas, <laughs> and and perhaps you make a, a profit from that as well. So there are all kinds of arrangements and, and the contracts, coming back to the contracts, the contracts sort of seek to, to at least lay some of this out. And the contracts lay this out by saying the copyright at the first instance belongs to the artist. You want to do something with the copyright, you have to ask the artist. So the contracts just say the copyright doesn't belong to you. You can't do anything you want with it. It belongs to the artist. If you need to make stuff with the copyright, 
you have to go ask the artist. Is a contract binding on someone who purchases a piece on resale, right? So let's say an artist does sign a contract with a primary buyer, and then the primary buyer of the, of the NFT sells it to someone else. And that person is anonymous. So you don't actually know who you, who you sold it to, but you just sold it to someone. So is now that anonymous person bound by this resale contract? And, and, and how, how would this work in a, how would this work within the framework of sort of a traditional IP law? People are going to ask how you're going to enforce this. So this is a question about enforcement on uh, third parties or subsequent buyers down the chain who, who we may or may not know. I think the best way to discuss this is to look at it in terms of the traditional art world. So in the traditional art world, in the most basic sense, which was before the artist resale, right, and when artists were trying to improvise and, and make it work for themselves, what would happen is that there's this very famous attempt at, at fixing all these problems. It's called the, the Siegelob contract, which is which is a contract and perhaps now it's even treat, given the status of an artwork. So this is a, it's a special contract where an artist came together with his lawyer at that time to say to who, and, and this artist felt that this artwork changing hands for, for a lot more money and the artist getting nothing was, was such a terrible situation. So he and his lawyer came out with this contract where there was a portion of the contract where you could cut off and actually paste on the artwork. And what it had the effect of doing was to tell anybody who bought the artwork was that he or she needed to pay the artist a portion of the sales price. And it's up to the seller of the artwork to also inform the the new buyer of the same. So, So this deals with the concept of notice. Basically, you need to give notice to the stranger to, or to the new person that the artist needs to be paid. So, so this was actually physical notice where they actually would pay something on the artwork. So people knew that they needed to pay the first person or, or the artist the money. But but that's in a perfect world. I think a lot of people would pretend that they don't know or or the artist just can't keep track because it's something that, this was before the internet, okay? It's something just disappears. It, it really relied on the honor system. Another way that people are talking about this is to have some kind of a smart contract. But smart contracts are another issue altogether because some jurisdictions don't recognize smart contracts or so in this smart contract thing, a certain number of criteria have to be fulfilled. And one of that criteria is that the artist has to be paid a percentage of the sales price. And only if that is fulfilled, can the sale go through can the, and can the, the information on, on the blockchain or what be, be amended or, or added to. So some people are thinking of using smart contracts for this. But right now, the system is fairly cumbersome because the NFT exists on, on perhaps an image file, uh, the ownership data is on the blockchain and the contract is on the physical piece of paper. So, so there seem to be three things in one transaction, but, but I think things would develop to make it less clunky. But right now, it, it's still very clunky. The smart contract sort of enforcement works quite well currently because you know, currently the dominant... NFT marketplaces are either OpenSea, which is the largest sort of secondary sale marketplace in the world. You know, the majority of Ethereum NFTs go through that marketplace. So it's everyone has to use it and they enforce the resale sort of royalties. Or they have sort of gatekept centralized 
platforms like Nifty Gateway, like Foundation, Super Rare, where these platforms also don't have any problem um, sort of enforcing that, that secondary sale. And, you know, what I've seen is some buyers are quite enterprising because, you know, as NFT prices have gone up, you know, a year ago, no one had problems paying royalties because, you know, NFTs were changing hands for three digits, four digits in prices. But now we have NFTs changing hands for like seven digits, eight digits. And people are like forking out, you know, 2%, 5%, 10% of like a seven or eight digit sale is quite a quite a hefty amount. So, you know, some people are sort of getting the smart idea. Hey, why don't we just do it in an OTC fashion without going through these uh, marketplaces? And that has happened. But what's actually happened is that an artist all these things are very transparent, right? Because everything, all the transactions on the blockchain. So an artist is saying, okay, if any of you guys do this kind of OTC sale in order to avoid the royalty, basically I'm I'm going to ban you from buying future primary sales of my art, basically. So it's kind of like an artist-led sort of whitelist, blacklist situation. Uh, and 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 this is is somewhat effective because... You know, no collector wants to be sort of blacklisted by the by the artists that they're, they're collecting from. So, so there is almost uh, you know a very strong incentive to basically abide by sort of these uh, smart contracts. In your experience, are, are people in the traditional world quite bullish or bearish? Are they quite optimistic or pessimistic about the promise of you know the blockchain in terms of how it's supposed to promise? to offer more peace of mind and uh, security to to these transactions? I think the people in the traditional art world and the people who do NFTs at this point are different groups of people. I'm sure there is some overlap, but it seems to me from my from my observation up to this point is that there are different groups of people. Art Basel is happening right now memes are about like dealers trying to like steer collectors to contemporary art rather than NFTs. So, so I think there's some kind of attention uh, there. There's a thesis in the NFT world that, you know, a lot of these issues surrounding sort of IP and copyright and, and licensing specifically will basically be considered moot as the NFT space sort of takes off, meaning it, it won't even be an issue in the sense that there's a growing movement in an NFT world that all the sort of intellectual property slash NFTs should basically be made copyleft. It's a movement that was started in sort of the 70s and 80s that basically said all information should be should be free. There shouldn't be copyright on anything. Anything should be free. And then a lot of these software engineers and developers that believe in this copyleft phenomenon, they are now actually the most influential participants in the new NFT space, both as collectors, but also as artists. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on the whole concept of copyright and enforcement of IP is actually detrimental to, you know, the spreading of my ideas and my art. And this is a growing movement in the in the NFT world. I mean, I believe in any new type of space and, and especially when, when things are developing, people try to create norms right because we we need to know what is normal what and we need to establish a, a certain kind of practice so if i could back up a little and talk about about intellectual property law generally basically intellectual property law is it's just a system to protect and to monetize things that are free 
Because if, if there was no IP law, everything is free. And even without IP law, people would still be making and inventing things. And you could just use those things for free. But the, 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 there are different theories that justify why, why IP law needs to exist. One of the theories is that it's to incentivize innovation and invention. But, but I believe without IP law, people would still be making things because we, we need to survive. We need to invent like medicine and, and things like that. Another theory is that an artist's personality goes into his work and therefore he should have the right to protect it and, and it shouldn't be exploited. So that's another theory of intellectual property law. The third theory is that the artist puts effort into creating something and he should be able to read what he sows. So, so that's another theory of, of intellectual property law. So there are all these different theories. And when we go into a new space with, with a new thing, say, say NFTs, you want to see whether these are still relevant or we should look at something totally new. And, and, and I think people are looking at what, what the possibility of all these things were free. If they go viral, more people start circulating them and perhaps the credibility of a particular artist or his reputation will increase and people who want more of those NFTs, it will increase demand and somehow it will increase price. So basically, it's, a, it's about establishing norms. Yeah, I think that the incontrovertible chain of ownership that you see with NFT and, and on the blockchain has kind of eliminated the kind of a certain existential anxiety on the part of art in the sense that, you know, previously collectors were so paranoid that someone would rip off or make a copy of their, you know, their, their beloved Rembrandt or Da Vinci or whatever. And a lot of that copyright anxiety was based on the, the possibility that, that the art would actually be counterfeited, right? Actually, people would, you know, skilled craftsmen, there's that, that village outside of Shenzhen, I believe that, has become famous for actually making very technically proficient copies. And, you know, whether or not people can tell the difference is one thing. It's the fact that, you know, in that regime, physical art was very prone to being copied and, and, and marketed, maybe obviously not at the full price, right? But that was the kind of economy that the physical artwork existed in, right? But now what we're seeing is that, well, like, pieces, uh, sorry, with it, what Sabertooth said, the, the artist doesn't really care if the, the digital image is actually, you know, circulating and being copied. And after all, it's just, it's just an image. It's just a JPEG, right? But someone still paid for it, right? The, the collector that, you know, in his little private wallet, he actually can prove that he paid X dollars for, this, for the ownership rights to this, to this file. So now that the, cop, the ownership is... You know, no one can dispute that. People are free to, um, as you say, like circulate the image and that increases the symbolic value of that, of that image. I think that's the, the key thing. It's ownership rather than copyright. But I guess it, it remains to be seen. If, it seems like people are still very anxious about the idea of copyright, even in the NFT space. Ryan, thanks for uh, coming and joining us on this sort of fascinating discussion. Before I let you go, final question that we ask all of our guests, who is your favorite artist? Okay, I think this would be a little bit cliche, but my favorite artist is actually Andy Warhol because all those years ago, he was like making copies of all these things <laughs> and nobody knew what to do with them. <laughs> and they were worthless and now they're worth a lot. So, <laughs> so maybe people used his like prints as wrapping paper 
So, <laughs> so perhaps it it, it, it parallels uh, the the rise of NFTs when right. when they weren't really worth much in the start. Ryan, uh, it's been absolutely a pleasure to have you on the show, um, and thank you for joining us today on this episode of Floor Is Rising. Thanks for listening to this episode of Floor Is Rising. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe, follow, and give us a review on your favorite podcast app. If you want to reach out to us, our DMs are open. Slide into our DMs on Twitter at Floor Is Rising.